0: If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 57, verses 15 to 21. For thus says the Lord who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Our New Testament reading is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, Please be
1: seated. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus for your word that is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask, Lord, that your word would indeed cut through all of the things, Lord, that that blind us and Lord and, and that our hearts tend to latch on to, that would distract us from you. Help us now, by the power of your spirit, to hear what your word is saying to us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you are glorified through it all. For it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You know, these days when you travel and you have to spend time in places like airports or hotels, you know, considering how important it is to locate your gate and the bathroom. It is it is essential that you find the power outlets for your devices. It's amazing when you see people and they're all they're moving around, right? Where can I plug in? You know, and you hear the conversations happening. Where can I, where can I my phone is dead. Can I plug? Yeah, you have to, you need to locate. If you get in a hotel room, you know, it's the same thing. You, you get in the room, you find your iPad is dead, you know you've got a meeting in 30, 40 minutes, and, or your phone is, and you got, where do I plug it in? And now, hotels have gotten savvy. Even the lamps have multiple plug-in spots. You know, but, yeah, you, and at home, when you're at home, In your home, don't you know where every outlet is? Yeah. Yeah, well, today, yes, you need to locate the source of power. And today, what we want to to do is locate the source of power that God has made available to us to accomplish his vision of the church. If you're just joining us, we're on a sermon. we're, We're in a sermon series, and this is sermon number three on God's vision for the church, capital C, a vision that we at Grace Church, small c, because we're just one, one small church in the larger capital C church. But it's a vision that, that we at Grace are seeking to live. In the first sermon, we heard that God's vision of the church is a preferable future where heaven and earth and all therein are reconciled to the Father through Christ Jesus. Last Sunday, in sermon number two, Pastor Sa preached a message on why this vision of the church. And it's so that all nations, all of creation in heaven and earth, might be gathered to worship God. And today, we want to focus on how. God accomplishes his vision of the church. And our Old Testament reading tells us that God is going to accomplish the vision of, for the church, and while our New Testament reading tells us how he has done it. See, God is determined to reconcile, to recreate, to make all things new, and he does this through Jesus Christ, whose cross is the means by which he creates in himself one new man in place of two, or as Paul said it, in one body through the cross. God accomplishes his vision of the church through the power of the cross. He brings powerless nobodies to meet a powerful person who then makes a powerful proclamation of peace, turning them into a powerful permanent place for God's dwelling by his Spirit. That's, that is, that's, that's, our, that's our, our outline. That's, that's, that's what we're looking at. So let's consider this. Powerless, powerless nobodies, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what it was called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, these two verses sum up the powerlessness of the Gentiles to whom he's writing. They had no significance. They were, they, and and uh, so the way he puts it, you know, to sum it up, they were nobodies. You know, they were the uncircumcision, which was a derogatory term used by the circumcision. And even Paul points it out that that circumcision was done by hands. You know, as if to say, you know, this is this is your this is your you, you think this is your ticket of of significance. But what we can't but what we can't let escape our notice is that. This, this, this verse comes right on the heels of verse 10, where Paul says of the church, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now here's, here is that language of creation, and it's set before us. And God is creating, as he did when he made the world, he's creating something out of nothing. The Gentiles were in a five fold state of powerlessness as we look at the text. They were Christless. They were Messiah, having no Messiah or Savior. They were stateless. They were outside of, of the commonwealth of, of Israel. They were promiseless, strangers to the covenants of promise, Paul says. They were hopeless, having no confidence in the certainty of a better future. They were godless, I mean having, having no connection to, and they were separated from God. And Paul is saying here that they were powerless to change their status. They were powerless to recreate themselves. They were powerless to gain access to God. Powerless to give themselves a future. Powerless to make themselves somebodies. They were divided and dead. And this aptly describes our society as as it is untethered from God. Placing placing hope in in promises of of politicians while while awaiting deliverance from a man-made ending of the world by self-made saviors. Powerless nobodies who are unable to give themselves any lasting meaning since they can't define their purpose and they can't discern what it means to be human. Now, perhaps you're here today, and this describes the way that that you feel, powerless, a nobody. God has the power to make something out of your nothing. And he is seeking you. Hear the word, hear the word of God, and what it's saying to you. Because the good news is that Paul says that is what they were. They were powerless. But they met a powerful person. Hallelujah. Look at verses 13 and 16. But now... the hostility. You see, these verses tell us that Christ, the Messiah, has gone to work on our behalf with great power. See, what is what is Christ's power? Well, the text says he has the power to make peace through his substitutionary death on the cross, thus he is our peace. So in the text we see that the gentiles were powerless nobodies but the Jews thought that they were powerful somebodies and hence the hostility the law and of the commandments expressed in ordinances was intended to make the Jews alike to the gentiles instead they thought it was a means to their salvation by do these things I'm better if I do these things, if I commit these sacrifices, if I'm doing this sacrifice in the morning and in the evening, if I'm, if I'm making every festival, if I'm traveling with my family, carrying them all the way, you know, that this is making me right with God. They thought it was a means of salvation. But we read the indictment of the nation of Israel in Isaiah 57, 17. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. You see, their religious practices didn't do a thing to change their hearts to be what God had called them to be to the nations around them. Instead, they turned their works into a self-salvation project. Then the laws and, and the ceremonies became a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. So in the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles and there was the court of the Jews. And these were separated by a wall. And if you ever see a diagram or a picture of, of how the temple was set up, you know, you notice, you'll notice which court was closest to the most holy place, where the most holy places where God would dwell and whose, whose court was closest. It wasn't the Gentiles. The Jews, yeah, we're closer to God. Uh, uh, yeah, so and on, on, on that wall that separated the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews, there were there were these writings. These and, they, and and in the Greek, they were they were Thanatos inscriptions. Thanatos is a Greek word for death, and it's it and so yeah. If you're a Marvel uh, fan, you're those Avenger movies. You see you 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 know the, you know the villain Thanos. Yeah, death. Yeah. So yeah, these thanatos, these death inscriptions that were, that were written on the wall. And here's this one such inscription said this. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. See, here's the host- this is the hostility. It is this dividing wall of hostility that Christ has broken down in his flesh. See, the peace that, that Christ makes is that he takes the punishment on their behalf. The unjust gain of Isaiah 57 that was theirs for which God is angry is punished in Christ Jesus. See, on the cross... Jesus was struck. While on the cross, God hid his face from Jesus and his anger fell on Jesus while we, the real offenders, are set free. We're forgiven. And so Isaiah would say in Isaiah 53, the punishment that brought us peace fell on him for what other thing was able to cover our sins than his righteousness. What a wonderful savior. You know, this this then became the message of the gospel. Because of Christ Jesus, the law and its ceremonial ordinances is now done. And it is no longer a means by which people are excluded. No one, no, you can't leave anyone out. Because that's not what God is doing. He's bringing them in. And he's bringing them in through Christ. In Christ, we have peace with each other and with God. And Paul puts it in that order in in Ephesians 2.16. Peace with each other and peace with God. And we know this, that, that this is the application of the truth of Christ because of Peter's encounter with Cornelius. If you, you remember the story, you know, Peter has this dream while, and while, while he's there at the house of, of Simon the taxidermist. You know, if you're reading the King James, it says Simon the Tanner. It doesn't mean that he was outside sunning. Yeah. No. But, but in the dream, he sees this big sheet coming down from heaven filled with all kinds of, of, of animals and reptiles and, and birds of the air. And he hears this voice, rise Peter, kill and eat. But how does how does Peter respond? He says, by no means Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Well, what did he mean? Well. See the law, Peter knew the law. Peter had practiced the law. It had been his law. You know, you know, no Lord, I don't eat bacon. I don't eat ribs. You know, I, you know, so, so I've, 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 never, I've never eaten those things, they were common, they're unclean, the law forbids me to eat those things. But the voice Peter heard again, those that these law and these ordinances that had built a wall in Peter's heart that God was about to address, this voice speaks again, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter had to have this happen to him three times before he began to to realize what's happening. And it doesn't really dawn on Peter what is happening until he meets the Roman centurion Cornelius. And after hearing Cornelius' story, Peter says, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. I like what Erwin Wentz calls this, he, or Irwin Ince calls this. He says, he says that this is God's non-discrimination clause. He shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then Peter proceeds to preach Christ to the Gentile soldier and all of those who were in his household. You see, this is the power that Christ has. His power ended our hostilities and you would say why well verse 13 says that that it is it's that creating power that he has by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace See, what command are you following? What command can you follow? What law can, can, can be created that would supersede this law? That somehow you just say, oh, no, no, no. No, no, so, so, no, listen, you still, you can't come in because of this reason, because your hair is that way, or because you have a mustache, or because your eyes are green. No, Christ has gotten rid of the laws and, and the commandments that matter. And he makes peace, he's doing his work of creation. See, Jesus is creating a new humanity that is neither Jew nor Gentile. He says, in the, so in the early second century, the writer of the letter to Diognetus does a masterful job of persuading Diognetus. Diognetus was some sort of a ruler because the way he's addressed is, is your majesty, your excellency. Yeah, so he's some, he's some sort of noble person in, in Roman society. But, and so the writer, he does this masterful job persuading Diognetus of how the Christians are not like the Jews nor the Gentiles. They, they don't submit to the vanity, this is his, his argument goes They don't submit to the vanity of idols, as do the Gentiles, and they don't observe the superstitions or religious practices of the Jews. And he then presses Diognetus. He says, I suppose, then, you are sufficiently convinced that the Christians properly abstain from the vanity and error common to both Jews and Gentiles, and from the busybody, spirit, and vain boasting of the Jews, but you must not hope. to to learn the mystery of their peculiar mode of worshiping God from any mortal. For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language nor customs which they observe, for as I said, this was no mere earthly invention which was delivered to them, nor is it a mere human system of opinion which they judge it right to 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 preserve so carefully nor has a dispensation of mere human mysteries been committed to them, but truly God himself who is almighty, the creator of all things and invisible has sent from heaven and placed among men him who is the truth and the holy and incomprehensible word and has firmly established him in their hearts. You're already hear saying, he is, he is saying that, that Christians are supernaturally put together. They're a new race, a heavenly culture, wherein Christ himself is their peace. Christ, and Christ has, through the cross, made peace between earth and heaven and between God and humans. Christ planted, Within the church. And in this, Jesus is our peace. He makes peace and he makes a powerful proclamation of peace. And he came, verse 17 says, and preach peace to them who were far off and peace to those who were near. And here Paul picks up on, on the message of Isaiah 57, verse 19. Creating the fruit of lips where God says he's restoring. He restores and, and he works in the, in, in the mourners to restore and to revive. Peace, peace to the far and the near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. See Christ Jesus through the power of the cross is powerfully proclaiming peace. And you see people with the cross of of, of or for jewelry—it's around their necks or it's in their ears—and some have crosses tattooed on their on their bodies. But I wonder if they know the powerful proclamation of peace that Christ is preaching. You see, the cross—it's more than a good luck charm. It's more—it's more than a talisman. It's It's more than a a fetish. Christ's cross preaches a a powerful message of peace. And that peace, it's the equivalent of the Hebrew Hebrew word for shalom. It's that universal wholeness of of everything working together as it should. Heaven and and earth in perfect harmony and humans in perfect unity and diversity. The the animal world and the planet are, are in tune with its lords, little l, and potentates, humans. See, this is the message of peace. This, the, this, this powerful, the powerful proclamation of peace is seen in the scope of the message's reach. It reaches both far and near. of hints at the story of the parable of the, of, of, the, of, of the prodigal sons, doesn't it? I know it's the parable of the prodigal son, but both sons were prodigals. You know, one was far off in the distant country and he was wasting his father's, he, he was wasting his father's living. And here the other one was near in that he was right there with the father the whole time and he still didn't know the father. He was lost just as well as that that distant son. And here the text says that God brings together, that Christ brings together both those who are far and those who are near. So it brings the outsiders in and it reminds the insiders that they need the same grace. See, this is the good news. This is the good news this morning, church. We have been given peace. And we, along with the planet, are being recreated in Christ Jesus. And this powerful proclamation of peace and the work of, of living, it's good, it, it's good works God has preordained for us to walk in that this new humanity, in all of its unity and diversity, is not an accident. It's not an accident. And Christ Jesus, the powerful person proclaiming peace, is working in us to make a powerful, permanent place for God's dwelling by the Spirit. Look at verses 18 to 22. God wants to move in with you. Do you understand? God is going to come home to be with us. See, all all through the Scripture, He's been leaving breadcrumbs for us to follow. In the Garden of Eden, God was we we were at home with God in Adam. Adam and Eve fell, so God has to now draw. Create a people for Himself through the Jews, and in the tabernacle in the wilderness, God was at home with His people in the wilderness. And when they come, when they when they when they settle in the land, then Solomon builds a temple. God's glory comes down. It's a symbol of His presence that He's with them, and then. That temple is torn down, that temple is destroyed, and another temple is built, and it's overrun too by Antiochus Epiphanes. But so, so Jesus comes, He sent from heaven, the word became flesh, John tells us, and dwelt, the word is tabernacled, he tabernacled among us whereby the disciples could say, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And now, since he is risen from the dead, he has sent his spirit to live within his people who are from every nation, tribe, and language, and tongue, building them into a holy temple in the Lord. God is coming home. Yes. How? So how are we to think? How are we to think about this? Well, so what we see is this is a necessary consequence of the power of Christ's cross, that we are in one body through the cross. And so are you are you busy trying to be somebody without God? Do you feel the weakness of your of, of, of your own powerlessness. I know that the construction of that sentence is problematic, but I want you to catch the emphasis. Yeah, you you have no strength. You, You have no power here to make yourself right with God. You need to know where the power outlet is. It's Jesus. Jesus is the powerful person who can set us free from the vanity of our idols. And you know, idols, idols are, are the things you look to for worth and significance. And it's, it's taking good things and, and placing the weight of your being, the weight of your, your life and, and, me, and meaning on them and, and not God. It's, it's your spouse, it's your, it's your family, it's your marriage, it's your job, it's your political party, it's your technology. Yeah, but all of your idols, all of our idols, are are the nothings that keeps that keeps us weighted down from being with with being nobodies. See, it doesn't matter if you have plaques on the wall or letters behind your name, because you can have all those things and yet be without hope, without a savior, separated from God. And Jesus would say, "What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his?" own soul. You can't, through your own efforts, make God your dwelling. No, he has to come. He comes to us. Hallelujah. The verse verse 15 and 16 of, of Isaiah 57 says this, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, the one with significance, the one who has who has all of the meaning, all of the worth, he's, he's who's high and lifted up inhabits into eternity whose name is holy I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite for I will not contend forever thank God nor will I always be angry thank the Lord for the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of life that I made. Do you feel the heart of God? Do you feel that He seeks to revive, to bring to life again, to restore, to, to rebuild, to make it new, and, and to give strength to the spirit of His people? See, this is God's vision of the church, and it hasn't changed. Many churches changed their vision. But God's vision hasn't changed. Hallelujah. See, He makes makes the movement toward us from heaven to earth in the person of his son. Here's the question. Are you in Christ? Because it's only in Christ that the anger of God is removed from his people. It's only in Christ that strangers and aliens are given a home. It's only in Christ that we have peace with God and with each other. It's only in Christ that we all have access in one spirit to the Father. It's only in Christ that the nobodies become somebodies. It's only in Christ that God does his work of recreating everything and bringing everything and everyone under one head, even Christ. It's only in Christ that the church grows up into a holy temple in the Lord, and God comes powerfully and permanently home. And he accomplishes this through the power of the cross. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we are yours because you have made us yours through your Son, When we weren't seeking you, Lord, you came after us, and you called us, Lord, to be your people. Continue your work, Father, in making us one. May this message spread through all peoples, Lord, as your word is in the hands of of, of, of billions of people around the world. Oh, make it plain, Lord, that we might be ready for your permanent dwelling among your people.